This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Tuesday Takeout Outtake Especial. Handheld mics for everyone. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Kith and Kin, which is part of the Intercontinental Hotel on the waterfront of Washington, D.C. Joined by our longtime special guest who was with us the whole first part of the show. No part of the regular show, of course. Dorothy Butler Gilliam. Also, we're joined, and I'm delighted to meet you, the chef here at Kith and Kim, Kwame Onwache. Yes. This is an Afro-Caribbean-inspired restaurant. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for coming. It's, it's great for us to be here. Lunch was spectacular. I'm just about halfway through. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your experience. You've got a new book, Notes from a Young Black Chef. Mm-hmm. Your story is... Like a lot of people's stories, complicated, not always marked with universal success, some failures that taught you some lessons, right? Absolutely. I think that's what life is about, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the ups and downs, and you can celebrate uh, or learn how to appreciate the good times when you go through some First of all, how old times. are you? I'm 29 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you've already had a restaurant launch, a restaurant fail, and mm-hmm. a, lo- a restaurant relaunch. That's a lot for someone of your age, if I understand the industry real well. Mm-hmm. How'd that all happen? Uh, well, you know, I got an opportunity to open the restaurant of my dreams. I did uh, pop-ups around the, the world for about two years, meaning I would take a space and turn it into a restaurant um, for about two to three nights. And uh, I stopped in D.C. a couple times and met some investors, and we hit it off, so we opened a restaurant um, that lasted, you know, a little under three months. Um, but from there, you know, I had people around me that believed in me more than I believed in myself. So it was, um, it was a process of getting back on your feet and continuing to, to go and thrive. But what did that failure teach you? To pick my partners better. Okay. You know, it's really important, you know, that the people that you're going into business with, um, they understand that it's like a marriage. You know, there will be ups, there will be downs, um, but you need to push through in order to get to the successful times. Right. And that's uh, applicable, Dorothy, in all manner of existence. Absolutely. Uh, pick Absolutely. your friends, pick your investors, pick your partners, whatever. Um, and I want to ask you, Kwame, about this restaurant. What's working here? Mm-hmm. What's your mission? Mm-hmm. What's your vision? Because that's, as I understand it, a huge part of what a chef brings and what the chef, male or female, communicates to the customers. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, my philosophy is that a dish should tell a story. And if a dish tells a story, it usually it has a soul, you know, and it resonates with people. And, you know, that's one of the defining factors of Kith and Kin. We have four pillars of cuisine here, Jamaican, Nigerian, Trinidadian, and Creole. And that's all what my family is made up of. You know, we come from four different places around, around the world. All of them have really, really good food, luckily for me. And... Um, I'm, I want to continue to push that narrative and have a place where 
the inaudible in the culinary industry, people that have been inaudible have a place to celebrate their culture while celebrating a special experience. When you say inaudible, what do you mean? Underrepresented. Okay. You know, the Afro-Caribbean cuisine, you know, is definitely underrepresented. Not on every street corner. It's not on every street corner. Yeah. And if there is one on every street corner, it's really always associated with like a mom and a pop shop or a hole in the wall, quote unquote. So I think... A restaurant like this means a lot to our to the restaurant culture in general, but to a specific group of people that haven't been able to um, experience something like this. I want to talk about food in a more broader context for a second, uh, and not always uh, universally beneficial or positive. Because Dorothy, you write in your book Trailblazer, which we spent the entire first episode discussing, that in your life. As you dealt with the stresses of being the first African-American woman at the Washington Post, the stresses of being a journalist, the stresses of segregation or seeing that change, that food became complicated for you in certain respects. Food can be complicated for lots of people. Talk to my audience a little bit about that. Well, at one point, I uh, found that I was um, almost a sugarholic, mm. you know, that uh, I, I was using uh, sugar uh, to to help, you know, calm stress, mm-hmm. to, you know, to do all kinds of uh, things that it wasn't supposed to do. For example, uh, sometimes before I would go home uh, after a hard day at the office, uh, I would stop and have some ice cream, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and before I'd go home and have dinner. Uh, just, uh, you know, really clearly. Uh, Instead of stopping at the bar, you'd the, stop yeah, and get some ice cream. And then the, the, the stress, and, and I knew it was all stress related. Uh, sometimes I can remember, and it, I'm not proud of it, mm-hmm. but uh, when the stress just built up to here, I would go to a movie, mm-hmm. and then I would buy candy bars, mm-hmm. you know, as I watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now I do not eat sugar or flour, mm-hmm. uh, but I had to really join a fellowship in order to, uh, you know, to really... Uh, deal with the spiritual, emotional, and physical issues that were involved mm-hmm. in that kind of activity. And Kwame, it's my impression, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the restaurant industry, there is either an awareness or a sensitivity that I didn't perceive maybe 10 years ago about all these various issues, whether it's allergies or just preferences and the way you present food and the way food is brought to us has a way of affecting our health, our, our outlook, and all mm-hmm. sorts of things. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sugar is the most addictive substance on, on the face of the earth. Yes. So it's, no, um, it's not surprising to hear you say that you enjoy ice cream on your, on your way home. I'm pretty sure a lot of Americans do. Um, but you have to be conscious of what you eat and you need to make the right decisions, especially if it's affecting your health. And in the restaurant industry, we have had to adapt to the average consumer becoming more educated um, with themselves and also with the things that they're putting in their bodies. So, because you get that feedback as a restaurateur. Yeah, and we, we have a lot of aversions. You know, people come in, they'll have an orchard fruit allergy or a nightshade allergy or an allium oh, allergy. Nightshade, things that grow uh, in the dark. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay, that's a new one for me. Yes. I learn um, every day. Yeah, or an allium allergy, like. Every, every, everything that's in the onion family. So it's like you have to be able to adapt um, and not just take something out of the piece of the puzzle, like recreate a new puzzle for them so they feel ah. that they have a dish. So it's not just when you're back there working on it, oh, we'll take that out. You've yeah. got to recreate something. Yeah, if I'm doing a vegan dish, it has to be something that's just as well thought of as 
a dish that has, you know, that's protein based. So it's involved, you know, it's a lot more involved than it used to be, but it challenges us to become better. And um, I've heard people say in the restaurant business to people who love food, think they're good cooks and say to themselves, I'd like to open up a restaurant. Yeah, they say no, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do not do that. Why? Because it's a lot harder than it looks. You know, it it takes a lot of dedication in order to make a restaurant successful. Um, Because it's it is the food is obviously crucial, but there's so much else. Yeah, you know, the food is the easy part. You know, getting it consistent, that's tough. But also, you're dealing with people right. every day, you know? And, and that's, uh, I think that's the hardest part people of every business. People you serve and people you work with. Exactly. That's the hardest part of every, every business, you know, dealing with your staff or dealing with customers. So, um, you have to really be in it to, you have to be in it for the long haul, but you have to be in it for the right reasons. And you've got to be willing to work crazy hours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean... 18 oh yeah because Easily. It, because it never ends no it doesn't the questions and the things that need to get answered in a successful restaurant literally never end Mm-mm. you're constantly working and constantly um competing against yourself in a way so you can just get better every single day now dorothy you've been yeah, in I had a question yeah, i yeah. want are there any special challenges that you faced as an african uh, american male yeah absolutely um you know I was constantly the only person of color in, in many kitchens that I've worked in, um, which it was it was tough, you know. And you know, working within kitchens, it's it's glamorized on television, where you know the chef is shouty and screaming and things like that. And that still does happen in some kitchens, um, but there's a lot that can be masked under the oh, this is just how the chef is, um, and you can s- slide in there some ra- racial. Um, undertones or gender inequality um, under that um, hazing, that ritual, you know, ritualistic hazing that normally happens in a kitchen. So, yeah, I've faced a lot of challenges outwardly, um, but I would say the the hardest ones were the ones that weren't spoken. You know, being passed over, being looked over time and time again. Um, the jokes that I didn't ask for. You know, that you have to chuckle at or else you know you're out of the club and it's so yeah uh, it, it's challenging it still racial is racial velocity yeah you. exactly it's challenging it still is you know um i think it's getting better but we still have a long way to go dorothy you've lived in washington many many years as i have uh, i want to get your impressions of how the food scene has changed and evolved in this community it feels to me much more like New York than it did when I first moved here in the early 1990s. That is to say, variety, diversity, inclusion, and just a, a greater set of really good people making great, great food. Yeah, I think one of the things that's missing uh, are, you know, similar uh, kinds of restaurants as you have started here. Uh, when they asked me where I would like to come, I said I'd like to come to Kith and Kin because I had heard about you and I'd heard about you know, what you're doing here. And I've had just so many positive um, uh, remarks from people who said they've come and enjoyed it. Um, But... um, And Dorothy, that might be an example, what we just played out, of me not uh, having the same perspective as you do. Mm -hmm. I say this has become a much more diverse, and you say, no, not not nearly enough. Mm -hmm. That's because our different perspectives, our different life experiences. Diversity is relative. Yeah. You know? 
as, as, a, as, as a white male, it feels different to me than it does to you. To me, it feels a lot, and to you, it feels not quite, not nearly enough. Right. It feels like that's exactly what we were enough. just talking exactly. about. Exactly, and that's the that's the kind of way it's going to be necessary for everybody to, you know, stretch their minds mm-hmm. going forward because America is in the middle of some some really difficult times. Absolutely. For many t- people, it's a very frightening time, uh, and uh, uh, when, when you, you know, say frightening, what do you mean? I'm I'm well, I think. When you have, uh, you know, from the White House, people who are saying that the media is the enemy of the people, you know, from the highest levels of land, uh, you know, when you hear the leader of the nation uh, say what we do every day is fake news, you know, you're getting all kinds of messages that are going out to the public. And, uh, And we know that and one of the reasons I was glad I, the book came out when it did, I didn't plan it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, t- when, you, when you're uh, talking about uh, enemy of the people and fake news, and, and I wanted to tell about, you know, how much training I had at Columbia University, what I had to go through in order to get to where I was. Uh, there, this was not fake news. This was not, you know, I'm not the enemy of the people. You know, I'm one of those people who are trying to say what basically what the post says that democracy dies in darkness mm-hmm. and it's the journalists who take a, who who help to take away the darkness and if we don't have that happening and if we don't have a variety of that and if we don't have the representation of the diversity uh in america uh then you're going to continue to have a very serious situation mm-hmm. and you know i don't know what's ahead but it just seems to me that when I, people I've talked to who are extraordinarily mature, extraordinarily learned, there is an anxiety in the air that has, uh, that it, that has to be addressed because it's deep. Kwame, any thoughts about that? I totally agree. Um, the diversity that you're talking about within the media or just in America in general makes America America. And if the further we get away from that, the further we get away from everything we've fought for to get to this point. Mm-hmm. How is it that you got into cooking? Mm-hmm. My mother. My mother's a chef. Uh, she had a catering company that she ran out mm-hmm. of the house. We grew up in the Bronx in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, mm-hmm. me and my sister became her first two employees. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was about five years old. My sister was 10. And we helped with everything. And that's how I really got, got into <laughs> cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't a straight line, though. No, it was not a straight line. There, um, there were some twists and turns in high school and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was tough, you know, growing up in the South Bronx. You know, so tough, in fact, that my mother sent me to Nigeria to live for two years in order to teach me respect and to uh, help me appreciate the things that I have here. How, what was that experience like, going from the South Bronx to Nigeria? It was polarizing. <laughs> you go from playing PlayStation and do your homework by kerosene lamp, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was a huge culture shock in every sense of the word. Um, I grew up, you know, knowing about my culture and my history. My grandfather taught at Howard University. He taught Afro, um, African-American studies and anthropology. He was huge in the Pan-African movement. Um, so I, I knew about where I came from, but to be there... It's totally different. Well, you know, my very first trip abroad was to Africa back yeah. in 1960, 1961. 
Well, the first place we landed was Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, it was very different Nigeria at that point. But my destination was Kenya. Okay. And uh, I, Kenya was still under colonial rule at that time. So um, we had a, uh, you know, my experience uh, in Kenya was very different from Nigeria. Nigeria mm-hmm. felt uh, it was newly independent and, mm-hmm. you know, it felt hopeful. And um, Kenya was, uh, you know, still, uh, I guess, praying and hoping for the release of, um, you know, some of their leaders mm-hmm. who were still in jail. Mm-hmm. It's been a great pleasure to be with both of you. When you were on Trevor Noah, he said, I could talk to you for hours. I agree. I got to spend an hour with you. I feel <laughs> privileged and well, blessed I to be able to do that. I feel privileged as well. You're a great reporter. <laughs> it's been great to have you. Kwame, thank you so much for this experience thank here. Thank you. All the best of luck to you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, notes from a young black chef. That is Kwame on Wache's book. That's Trailblazer great. is Dorothy Butler Gilliam's book. We love to talk about books and life experiences here, restaurants, food, the whole thing. That's what the show is about in part. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks for joining us. New episodes of The Takeout are available Friday mornings wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farrett, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.